So I have a question for you. How many of you like Star Trek? Like old school Star Trek? Like William Shatner, old school Star Trek? Ah, my first service imitation was much better. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a fascinating thing about that is that, you know, I don't know if it's called conspiracy theorists or uh, technological, prophetical,istic kind of things, but where I'm going with this is just this simple idea that there were things there that Gene Roddenberry, the creator, thought up that people thought were nuts. That this was like science fiction, right? So Spock... You know, and everybody, you know, go down to the Andromedon third sun from the moon thing, right? And the sleeve stacks off to his left. And, you know, there's some furball thing running off here to the right. And, you know, William Shatner turns to Spock and says, you know, where are we, Spock? And should I just be done with that? That's not working for you, is it? Okay. And so Spock has this little thing and it tells them what? Captain, we're in the Andromedon Quadrant 5, see, you know. What is that today? Yes, it's our smartphones. You guys can go out there and be Spock now. All right? Not real thrilled at that, are you? Okay, so Bones, the doctor, he had a what? Like, Janine's here hacking and coughing, and she's been on diaphylactic Saturn 8, right? And she's got some horrible rash or something and so he comes and he does a what he's got something looks like a tape recorder from 1985 right and he holds it up and it makes you know kind of noise oh yeah she's got you know tuberculosis do you have tuberculosis no she doesn't what is that does that exist today where you can do a scan of a body and find out what's wrong mris and now, from what I understand, they actually do a thing called a body scan where they can like slice your body into pieces and it can tell you every little bit about you. It's not even an MRI. I don't even know how it works. It's kind of scary. If they did it to me, I think they'd just find one giant Twinkie like right in here, you know? And then they could figure out what's in a Twinkie that's in me. So Star Trek has these things that we look at and people that are kind of geeked out about this stuff on technology... I'm not going to mention any names, but, you know, Alan might be one. And so looking at these things, you get really excited. You say, wow, these guys were like pioneers in the field. How did he know that we would have this stuff? Today, I have the miraculous effort and responsibility to cover chapter 9, 10, 11, and 12 in a half hour of Daniel. So trust me, it's not going to happen. I believe in miracles, but it's not going to happen but stay with me, because it's very interesting. So why would I talk about Star Trek? Well, Matthew 24. Turn to Matthew 24. And you say, well, Pastor, why are we in Matthew 24? I thought we were finishing up, and you don't have a whole lot of time to spare. Well, you'll see. You will see. Now, Matthew 24 is what's called a... Uh, it's a passage that... Um, it's eschatological. It's, it's about end times. And 
understanding that point um, helps us understand why it fits into today out of the passages of Daniel that we're going to wrap up with. So let me put up right now just the key verse that I want you to see. But I'm going to read through some of this. And uh, let's pray that the Lord gives us wisdom and insight today because you're going to have a lot of information coming at you and coming at you fast. Father, we ask that through everything that we're studying today that we don't become overwhelmed, but that we um, hold on deeply to uh, what it is you have for us. I believe that the, the words are powerful. I believe that they're here for us, and I believe they serve purpose. Help us to find that purpose today, God, in, in, in our study and in our application of your word. Thank you. Amen. So verse 1 of chapter 24 of Matthew says this, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, why am I going here? Because we're talking about end times. We're talking about prophecy over these four chapters. And we're going to get into exactly what Jesus says here. In your bulletin, you'll see the sermon notes. And if you open them up, they're they're double wide today. You'll have a chart that talks about the 70 weeks of Daniel. We're going to go back. We're going to look at that out of chapter 9. Now, there's four different views. There's a lot of different views, but there's four primary views of the 70 weeks of Daniel. Let's time out from all that. And let me just tell you what we're doing and why we're doing it the way we're doing it today. To explain just this part would take about three weeks in a a, uh, level 200 theology class. I don't have that luxury. Um, To get into the history of chapter 11 would take probably a semester to do it justice. I don't have that time this morning. So as we look at all that's being uh, given to us, it does fit together with itself, it fits with Matthew 24, you're going to get a lot of information, but there's a purpose behind today. And you'll see that in just a moment. Now, one of those views that you have uh, listed is called the preterist view, which I used to hold a a modified preterist view towards the end times. Um, You'll see it about halfway down. One of the reasons is because of Matthew 24, where Jesus says he's talking about the end times, and he says, you will not see one stone upon another fascinating thing is is that the temple was destroyed and you'll hear about that out of these prophecies of daniel the temple was destroyed in 70 a.d and so the preterists say that that is the end of time uh, of the times and you'll see the arrows look at where they end on the list and all you need to know is that there are these different views of when christ is coming back of when the tribulation is happening and how does that apply to daniel And that's about all you need to know for right now. Uh, Most of this stuff should be studied in a Bible study where you can ask questions back and forth. But it's the piece that I've been handed. And so we're going to look to preach more than teach today so you walk away inspired. So you're going to get a bunch of information that I don't have the luxury to give you all the details. Go back and study. Okay? But we want to give you the information because it's there. So let me continue Matthew 24. And he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That's it, folks. That's what we're talking about. That's why you have that list. 
And the the 70 weeks of Daniel speaks to the end of the age. The disciples knew what they were asking when they asked this question. Jesus comes to them and says, the temple, one stone upon another, will be destroyed. And that gets them thinking. You take a time out. You come back. Parenthetical thought. You're now up on the Mount of Olives. And the disciples have been ruminating on what Jesus said. So they're looking over across the Kidron and they're looking at the temple and they say, what? Jesus got them thinking. They say, so when is the end of the age? When is the end of the age? And why would they use these words? Well, Jesus knew exactly why they were using them and we'll get to it in a moment. He speaks to what they were thinking and it's the connective thought between Daniel and Matthew 24. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. And the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, how many of us have been hearing all the chatter, the raised chatter about This must be the end times based off of all the things that we're seeing happening. We're seeing an increase in earthquakes. We're seeing just these horrible things happening around the world. We're seeing the spirit of Antichrist come even in our own country. Yes, all of that is true. So is this the end of the age? Is this it? This is the value of prophecy. This is the value of these four chapters in Daniel helps inform us to ask the question... What's my purpose? That's where we need to get to today. So in the flooding of information, the most important thing you walk away today with is the last verse of the last chapter of Daniel. And we'll get to it in a second. Let me keep going. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Is Jesus talking about things that have happened in the past? Or is he talking about things that will happen in the future from when he is sitting right there in that moment in history? He's talking about future. Now, one of the things that, and you see on your list, you have a dispensationalist view. One of the reasons dispensationalists put the return of Christ where they do is based off of what Jesus says here in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then what's, what's going to happen? Then the end will come. So a dispensationalist would say that it's going to be the situation of the gospel getting out to every tribe, every nation, every language, And then Christ is able to return. I announced to you guys about a month and a half, maybe two months ago, that the leader of Campus Crusade for Christ truly believes that through technology and knowing and tracking, now we know where all indigenous groups are, they believe by the middle of uh, between 2020 and 2030, somewhere in there, they believe that every nation will hear the gospel of Christ. We have never been able to know that in the history of man since this was stated. Does that get your interest peaked a little bit? 
So, folks, I'm not here to argue which view is the right view. Alright? So you need to go out, you need to study those things. We don't have time to do all that. You just need to understand, prophecy is here to inform us. And in light of that prophecy, it challenges us to say, can that really happen? Can every nation truly be reached? I think for many of us growing up hearing that talked about before technology hit, we really wondered, is that even possible? We now know it is. Is it possible to have a scanner that can tell you what's wrong with someone's body? Is it possible that you can have a device that can tell you where, where you are anywhere in the world or the universe? Thank you, Google Earth. All these things, we start to get a certain level of amazement that starts to shape our beliefs. And our beliefs then shape our what? Our actions. Folks, this is the value of prophecy. This is the value of what we're going to hear today. Because many of us will look at Matthew 24 and we'll say, is that really going to happen? Is that really going to happen? Two, uh, two individuals that I value deeply passed away into glory um, over the past two weeks. Taylor Jones, an incredible professor of mathematics and science and just a great apologist and great man, great husband, great father, um, father to some of my students um, down south, died suddenly of a heart attack, just massive heart attack. Just There was nothing wrong with him, nothing. It was just his time. Um, another individual, Keith Crawford, uh, who all of his kids went through my youth group. Um, and I was very close with the Crawfords from down south at my former church. Uh, he ended up sick and got a diagnosis, I think, about a month ago, finally a month ago, um, that he had cancer. And he was here one day and gone the next. And Keith passed a week and a half ago in his memorial services today. Um, I was contemplating going down south right after service for that, um, but it's just not going to be possible. At Keith's um, bedside, his kids, who are missionaries, by the way, um, the whole family was just singing worship songs around Keith when he passed into glory. But here's why I mentioned Keith, and, and for me personally, I'm dedicating this sermon to Keith, is that what we heard back from one of his daughters was that once he knew he was terminal, he was relentless in his sharing of Christ. Whether it was nurses, whether it was family members, whether it was just a complete stranger walking by, he was nonstop because he knew what his time was. And he knew what his purpose was. And he knew what was important. And it shaped his actions. My friends, if we truly believe the prophecies that we're about to hear and what we're about to read and the prophecies that Christ gave us, I think maybe our actions would be a lot more like Keith Crawford. And that's what I want us to wrestle with today. That's the preaching part. That's the inspirational part. So buckle up. We're going to have some fun with this. Listen, I, I take no responsibility for this. Uh, I, I warned my staff this was coming. I've been agonizing over this sermon for two and a half months. I still don't know that I have it right. I think it's an impossibility. And so I was asking the staff, and they made the suggestion, well, why don't you do it like walk through the Bible? 
How many of you have ever done a walk through the Bible? Anybody even know what that is? Two, three, four people. Walk through the Bible takes the, the message of the Bible and the major events of the Bible and it puts them into a chronology. So after a day class, you walk out and you kind of have the whole thing down. And, and not every specific, but the major events uh, that help us understand God's position and man's position in redemption. And then you put hand signals and, mo- you know, the parting of the Red Sea, you know, and faith and the moon and the stars and, you know, I don't know, things like that. And so it's, it's a lot of fun and, and you end up using these motions to remember the important stuff. So my staff, if this goes horribly wrong, I just want you to know it wasn't my idea, okay? The staff recommended that we do it this way and this is the most important segment of what we're going to look at. Go to Daniel 9 now at this point. And we're going to take the prophecy given to Daniel from the angel. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to put this together into an understandable, rememberable, uh, excitable... I'm throwing a lot of bulls in there. And uh, something for you to try to walk away with, focus and remember, because you're going to get a lot of information. So are you up for this? All right, you ready to have some fun? Oh, by the way, I didn't get to read through all this because I'm, I'm kind of cutting certain, certain things. Jesus goes on to say this in verses 15 through 18. He says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, Hello? The disciples say, When is the end of the age? When are you going to come back? And what does he go back to? When they use that titling, when they use that phrase, phrasing, end of the age, it comes from Daniel 9, 10, and 11, and 12. They knew what they were saying, and they knew what they were citing, and Christ knew what they were citing. And so what does He do? He goes back to the very prophecy we're going to study right now. And what does He do with this? Now, the Jews would say that the abomination of desolation was Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes. And you'll hear coming up why they believe that. A typology is this idea of like Abraham and Isaac, right? If you know the story, Abraham put his son up on the altar to sacrifice him even though his son was innocent, right? That is a typology of whom? Jesus Christ, okay? It's an example, so you get the the vision of it, right? So what's happening here is these events that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24, have they already happened or are they going to happen? They're going to happen. Yet when the Jews in Daniel 9, you look at these prophecies and they talk about the abomination of desolation or the abomination that leads to desolation, they are talking, most scholars believe, about Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, when he takes away the ceremonial uh, sacrifices, when he kills off the priest, when he persecutes the Jews, he kills thousands of Jews, he goes in, he sets up an altar to Zeus on the altar in the Holy of Holies, he sacrifices a pig with all that blood all over the altar. Within It's a desecration. And that is the tribulation that the Jews go through. That's a typology, in my opinion, that's a typology of what you're going to see mirrored at the end times for us that we see recorded in Revelation. Does that make sense for you? So you've got a mirror of the two things. Christ is speaking about the tribulation to come and the Antichrist. So when he talks about the abomination that leads to desolation. Um, there's a little bit of dancing around with prophecy here that some of that applies back here and some of it is foreshadowing of what's going to come in the future for us as well. Does 
that make sense? All right, let's get to the fun stuff. You ready? Here we go. So we're in 9, and let me, uh, let me take you to it, verses 24 through 27. We've already preached on 9, and yet I left us off on verse 24. We get into what's called the 70 weeks of Daniel. And, and I'll come back to that in a second. Well, let me read it. Uh, 24, 70 weeks. Now, an angel is giving this uh, vision to Daniel, all right? 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build up Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be what? Seven weeks. Now, the word weeks here in its grammatical form uh, represents seven. So it's this idea of 77. All right, so 70 times seven. And it's 490 years, depending on the views that you, those four different views, sometimes it's, it's sequential, but it's blocks. It's blocks of, of things happening that will add into 490 years. And dispensationalists say that there will be a time period of the church that is a peace period. You get to the 69th week, there's 70 weeks, okay? You get to the 69th week, and then there's a period of silence, and then when the tribulation comes, that's the 70th week. And on 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 it goes. That's as much as I'm going to give you on that. You guys need to study that on your own. What we want to focus on is what did the angels say? Number one, your people in your holy city. You're going to see in chapter 10 that Daniel is lamenting. He's upset. He's bent. He's crying. He's fasting. Why? Well, where we left Daniel was he was looking in Jeremiah 25 and he was seeing the prediction and it was coming up. He knew by the numbers that God was going to free the people from exile in Babylon and they were going to return to Jerusalem. And so what is he saying in his prayers? He's saying, God, how long are you going to let people slander who you are? For your sake, reestablish your people, reestablish your holy city. Remember that? So what happens? Under Cyrus, the first group goes back. Word comes back to Daniel. It's not going so great. As a matter of fact, it's going pretty badly. And it's kind of in a state of disarray. And so now he's lamenting. And isn't it interesting, Daniel doesn't get chided for his prayers last week. In the first part of 9, and we talked about, look at how Daniel prays and use it as a model. What's he say? For your sake, for your name, reestablish yourself. Make yourself great. Reestablish your people. Stop letting us be a laughing stock. Right? And, and make your city great. That was never God's will. Yet Daniel's praying it. What I want you to understand with that is that he doesn't get chided for that. Daniel wants what comes naturally. He wants the good things. He wants God to be established. But God has a plan of redemption. And you're going to see here, and one of the things that the angel lists is why these events are going to happen, why these things that are being prophetic or prophesied about, is because of the sins of the people and it's now going to usher in who? Christ. It's going to usher in the need for Christ. And then, so God has an ultimate plan. That's something for us to understand with prophecy. And, and how does that apply to our purpose? How does that apply to Keith's purpose? How does that apply to your purpose? So, number one, your people and your holy city. You ready? You're not ready. Are you ready? 
Okay, now I'll just tell you, only two people out of first service abstained. And I humiliated them incredibly. I'm just kidding, I would never do that. So, here we go. Your people in your holy city, circle around the head for a halo for holy, and then thumb to the chest for people. Alright, so holy city, your people. Here we go, ready? Your people, holy city. Some of you are like, <laughs> this is fun for me to watch, because some of you are like, whoop-de-doo, right? Okay, so, holy, pe- holy city, your people. There's number one. You're doing great. You're doing great. To finish the transgression. Why are these prophecies happening? Why is this difficulty going to happen? To finish the transgression. So what are we going to do for that? Finger wag with an X. Finger wag with an X. All right, let's go back. Your people, holy city. Boom. You guys are doing great. So far, it's a tie with first service. All right. Second one, to finish the transgression. Good. Finger wag. Finger wag and an X. All right, next. To put an end to sin. All right, what on earth could this, what, what, what could this be? It's very active, very visceral. Right? Yes, I like that. Yes. Put an end to sin. Put an end to it. All right. Holy people. Boom. What? Finish the transgression and put an end to sin. You guys are doing great. You're just, you're getting ready to just peek right over for service. All right, the next one. The next one is to atone for iniquity. Now, atone means to make a payment for. To make a payment for with Christ is the idea of paying for our what? Paying for our sins. So that was the, there was the day of atonement. Jesus became that sacrificial lamb. So he's atoning for our sin. So pay the lady, right? Okay? So atone for sin. All right, here we go. Say it out loud, everybody together. Your people and holy city. I know, I did that backwards. I'm so sorry. All right. Holy city and your people. All right. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity. All right. You just blew it out of the water. You're doing better in first service. All right. To bring everlasting righteousness. All right. So on and on and on. Everlasting to praying hands. All right, on and on and on and on, praying hands. You guys are doing great. This is so much fun. To bring in everlasting righteousness is what the angel says. So, holy city, your people, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, everlasting righteousness. All right, here's where you get to be verbal. All right, to seal both vision and profit. Christ gives these prophecies, or or God gives these prophecies, because the people keep forgetting what the prophets are saying. Right? You get that about the Old Testament people. They keep forgetting it and forgetting it. So he's saying, look, I'm going to give you something that is so irrefutable, you really got to pay attention to this. And Daniel, you're going to write it, and you're going to seal it, and then you're going to leave it alone. And part of this is a vision, and part of it are the words of the prophets. And so the angel says, we're going to seal this so that people can understand it, we're not going to add to it. We're not going to take away from it. So, we've got words. We've got ceiling. We've got vision. So, it's blah, blah, blah. Right? Blah. I knew you'd like that one. Blah, blah, blah. That's the words of the prophet. Vision. And then seal. Stamp. Right? You don't have to make that noise. I'm just, I'm just doing that. All right? 
So, blah, 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 vision, stamp. Okay, some of you are like at a, like a revolutionary party thing. No, just, okay, just stamp it, okay? So that is to, bring, uh, to seal both vision and profit. And then number seven, not to get away from it, right? Because we're talking about 70 times seven. We're going to roll with the whole thing. I know, you're saying that's brilliant teaching. Thank you. To anoint a most holy place. What is this talking about? It's the end. It's the goal. It's where we're getting to. Now, some of these different views would say it was the rebuilding of the temple that's going to happen in the future. Some say that it's ultimately um, uh, categorized by and, and realized by heaven, by the second coming of Christ. Okay? Either way, okay, it's this idea that this is what's prophesied. Is that... After all of that is done, there's going to be an anointing of a most holy place. And that is, it's finished. It's done. It won't, that's not the signal. Sorry, Magda. I'm just, I'm just speaking with Italian voice. Okay, so what is the signal? Hammer and nail. Alright? We're going to build, right? And to anoint a most holy place. That's just it. Okay, hammer and nail. Alright, let's see how you do with this. Ready? Holy city and your people to finish the transgression, put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, blah, 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 and to anoint the most holy place. Great job. Now, if you can remember that, good job. So we're not going to come back to that and end up blah, blah, blah. See, you are going to remember it. Now... The reason I did that, and I want you to focus on that, is because that's really what you've got to take away from this today, along with where we're going to finish. Now you're going to get inundated with detail. You ready? Ready to drink from a fire hose? Get ready to be amazed, because this is pretty fantastic stuff. So that's what we're going to take out of chapter 9, the 70 weeks. Again, remember that, that with the 70 weeks, um, weeks translates to 7 in the Hebrew in this usage. Uh, it's 70 periods of seven weeks. Uh, it's a total period of 490 years. There's four different views uh, in antiquity. You've got that. Now we've moved to chapter 10. Go ahead and, and move there in your scriptures. And Daniel's distressed over the people and God's covenant. What does that look like? Well, look in verse 2, if you will. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in, clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. And, and this is this vision he has of, of this angel. Now here's what we're going to learn from this, is that he spends the entire chapter 10 talking about encountering this angel. And, and that's all that we really see here uh, is, is he's on this river and he encounters this angel. And, and what happens? Well, only Daniel sees him. Kind of mysterious. Only Daniel sees this angel. And yet we know that the river is crowded. I don't know if it was work day out there. I don't know if it was laundry day at the river. I don't know what's going on. But the scripture tells us in chapter 10 that there were other people out there. <clears throat> and you can see that in verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the visions. For the men who were with me did not see the visions, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. Now what's fascinating about that, 
Have you ever been somewhere and felt the presence of God, but you never saw him? Have you ever been somewhere and you felt the presence of evil, and yet you never saw a physical manifestation of that? So much to the point where you were moved to take action, just like these men. Now, Daniel sees the angel. The men sense the presence of the angel, and it it causes them to fear. It causes Daniel to fear as well. And so he gets what? He gets touched by an angel. I think that's where we got the title of the show. This is about the fifth time Daniel gets touched by the, by the angel. All right? And he's getting touched by the angel because the magnitude of the situation overwhelms him. And he keeps passing out. But the angel has a message for him. And here's the fascinating thing. I want you to glean from this the understanding that what has Daniel been doing? He's been what? Fasting. He's been seg- uh, segmenting his time to be focused on beseeching God to say, give me an answer. This didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. This isn't the answer to my prayer. I asked you to reestablish yourself, reestablish your holy city, reestablish your people. Remember, that's what the angel talked about. And yet, people still transgress. And so, because of the transgression and because of the need to stomp out the sin, what happens? The atonement has to come. So God's plan is bigger than Daniel's plan. And so now he's going to reveal it to Daniel. How fascinating that because of his prayers, he gets a personal interaction. He gets an honored. And and often Daniel's referred to as the one who pleases God. Because of his pious efforts to seek out God. So Daniel's standing on the riverbank, sees the angel. People run. They're scared. He gets touched by the angel. He arises and the angel dialogues with him and tells him that he's been doing what? He's been fighting the prince of Persia. Well, that's a little odd. Now, we're not going to branch into a whole class on angelology. We don't have time for that. But, you know, in our tradition and the tradition I've grown up in church, I don't necessarily talk in these terms when it comes to angels and spiritual warfare and things like this. But I will tell you that this is one of the main passages that um, some of my brothers and sisters get their um, focus and approach to uh, certain prayers. Have you ever been around somebody who prays against um, Satan's angels that are holding captive a region? Have you ever been around somebody like that? I, I didn't grow up that way, so I don't necessarily think that way, but that's exactly what's happening here. And what's fascinating is if if you read in depth in the chapter, the angel says that he's been fighting that's ongoing in the grammar. didn't have just a singular fight. He is fighting against the prince of Persia. Is he actually fighting against Cyrus or whoever the king is? No, that word prince speaks about the demon or or Satan's um, angel, whoever who is in that territory, who is giving power to the Persian kingdom. So when verified again through Pauline letters in Ephesians 6 where he says our, our, our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of the air. Does this not make sense? So when we start to pray for world events, I want you to make a little transition in your head that there are spiritual things that are going on there. That we can pray along those lines. And the other reason that we know that, that um, 
But this is, this is an angel, it's not necessarily Christ, is it says it's an ongoing fight. Not only that, he's struggling in the fight. And he actually recruits Michael, the archangel, to help him with the fight. So that shows you that these fights somehow are regulated in the spiritual realms that, that they don't just, because they're angels, they don't just win instantly. Somehow there is a connection there that has to do with just the battle, the ongoing battle between evil and good. So just some fascinating things, and, and we'll move on. Um, it's in the text, it's something to look at, uh, but it's something, again, to study a little bit more in depth later. Let's move to chapter 11, if you will. Now, buckle in, get ready. This prophecy out of chapter 11 that the angel starts to reveal in detail, this is one of the most accurate prophecies you will ever find in Scripture. This is why I talked to you about Star Trek. This is why I took you to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, that's going to happen in the future. Do we really believe in 666? Do we really believe in the beast and the dragon and all, you know, all this stuff? And we all got, a lot of us got taught this stuff at, at certain times in our life. And, but you know, I just go to work at Chevron and maybe they are the beast. I don't know. I, you know, I just go to work at Chevron and I do my stuff in my cubicle. I answer my emails and then I go home and I, I watch. Sorry, there are people here from Chevron. I, I just tried to pick an arbitrary thing here, okay? Uh, fine, Panera, I don't care. Um, I'm just doing my own thing, and, and it just seems like, you know, yesterday's the same as today, and today's going to be the same as tomorrow. That's my world. I don't know about all this stuff about, you know, earthquake. We had an earthquake, Jesus didn't come back. What's the big deal? Right? There's these horrible wars going on. Jesus hadn't come back. I, you know, when is this finally going to happen? We struggle with this, right? I mean, let's be honest. When is this really going to happen? And the fact that in some form or shape, because you have four different views, you could really make an argument for different times in history that this already played out. And yet Christ has not yet returned. So how do you figure all this stuff out? So sometimes you get a little snarky with prophecy, don't you? Anybody out there snarky on prophecy? I am. Because prophecy is a very dangerous thing. People, it's so difficult to understand, and yet people want to take hardline stances, and, and they're wrong. So you've got to be careful. So what do you do with prophecy? That's what I want you to get today. What do we do with what we're going to see? Well, let's talk about the accuracy. So chapter 11, the title I have over chapter 11 says this, The Kings of the South and the North. How many have that? You have a little title over the, over the section. So I'm not going to read through this, because you'll like, I, I guarantee you, you all just get up and, and walk out um, at a certain point. Because it's 45 verses of this king fought a battle and then he died and that king took him over and, and then his brother took over that and then his sister did the laundry and then somebody else came along and threw a party and then on and on and on. You're like, this is a prophecy? Are you kidding me? Watch this. This is crazy. And I'm only going to give you a certain portion. I'm going to give you a clue right now. Get an ESV study Bible and look in the study notes and they will go through these prophecies and they will give you names from history that fit perfectly. As a matter of fact, this fits so perfectly from history. Not, not Bible, from the history that we have in the world. Flavius Josephus and, and others uh, on the antiquities and the Jewish wars and on and on and on it goes, right? 
The history you'll study in, in junior high, high school, the History Channel, you'll watch stuff on this. You'll hear these names. And when you watch the accuracy with which the prophecy is realized with these people's names, that's what we want you to pay attention to. So I'm just going to give you a couple. All right? So it starts out in chapter 11, uh, and he says this, starting verse 2. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heavens, but not his prosperity or posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. All right, that's four verses, and we've already had five kings and five kingdoms. Do you get why I'm not going to read through all of chapter 11? Okay, do it on your own. You'll see what I mean. But let me focus on a couple things. So right there, we went from Persia to Greek to Rome. All right? You're going to span about three to 400 years here. The thing that you want to focus on here is the king of the south versus the king of the north. Okay, you've got these two different kingdoms. The Seleucid kingdom, which was in the north, and the, uh, the Ptolemy kingdom, which is Egypt and in the south. All right, these are, all, these, these are names you're familiar with, right? You get them out of history. All right, so what happens, verse 6? Let's look at just one instance. I'll read verse 5, but focus on verse 6. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule. And his authority shall be great, a great authority. After some years, they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure. But she shall be given up, and her attendants, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. What are we talking about? Folks, this is like, I kid you not, like the sands before time drift into... What is that days of our lives statement? Are you ready? This is what history teaches us. There was an alliance between the king of the Seleucid dynasty and the, the Ptolemaic kingdom. That alliance was formed around the daughter of one of those kings. Her name is Bernice. Bernice was given to the king of the south to form the alliance. Tricky part. The king's already married. And so Mrs. King, right? Blank hath no fury, then a queen scorned. Watch this, because they did things a certain way, like permanent back then. She finds out about this plan because the king's plan was to divorce her and to estrange all of her children and put them away. She finds out. And what do you think she does to this Bernice gal? Slips a little Mickey in her drink. Not only her, but her husband. Folks, this is history. So Bernice dies. The king dies. And Bernice's dad dies. What did the prophecy say was going to happen? It doesn't get any more accurate, any more specific than that. And this is straight out of history. Let me give you another example. Go to verse 17 through 19. All right? Again, all prophesied 6th century B.C. And what does it say? <clears throat> verse 17. 
He shall set his face to come with the strength of the whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of a woman to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. Afterward, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them, but a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall return or he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back towards the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. You see why I'm not reading through this whole thing? Now let's look at what this is out of history. We're going to do this all over again. Antiochus III. Now you've heard of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. We're getting to him. So his dad, Antiochus III, gives his daughter Cleopatra, not the one you're thinking of. All right, that's a couple generations down the road still. But he gives his daughter Cleopatra to the king of the south, Ptolemy V, in hope of gaining power over Egypt. Problem? The hourglass tips over again and the sands of time start dripping. Um, His daughter actually starts getting a little keen on Ptolemy V. And so she betrays her father and he doesn't succeed. Again, straight out of history. So on and on and on it goes. And and I don't have time to cover all these things. What I want you to understand and what I want you to take from this is exactly what was prophesied came true, even down to the simplest thing. Antiochus Epiphanes now rises to power. Verse 24, uh, he comes in and history tells us in 167 BC, Syrian forces suppressed the Jewish religious practices. That was one of the things that was prophesied, even in chapter 9. They stopped the regular burnt offering on the 15th day of Kislev. He set up an altar or idol devoted to Zeus in the temple, the abomination that makes desolate, Daniel 9.27, chapter 12, verse 11. And afterwards offered up sacrifices on the altar. Now part of what we're looking at here fits with a prophecy that some views hold that it extends to the Antichrist himself. Because it says at the end here that the king, this king... um, that he dies uh, in a certain way. And we know that Antiochus doesn't die that way. And there is some allowance in the language that he could be talking about Antichrist in the future. So all that to say that there's a very detailed prophecy given as you look back at putting those things in, it's just like Spock standing here and you're watching this on TV and you're saying, what is that gadget? What is, that's pretty dorky, number one. But not only that, that's like, crazy stuff and yet you're holding one in your hand you use it every day when you drive around right but when it comes to matthew 24 and what's going to happen in the future for us and how do we live in light of that all we have to do is look back at this chapter 11 and see boy if you're going to give a prophecy make it ambiguous right this happens in some places where somebody gets up to give a word of prophecy and says there's someone out here who's struggling with relationship God wants you to feel healed. That's a great prophecy. Probably not going to miss with that one. Anybody struggling with relationship? Raise your hand. All right. Oh, no, nobody. My prophecy was horrible. You guys won't, you guys won't admit it. Um, that's not what God does through this angel. He gives these incredible... This is like hitting the Powerball, and there's like 1,400 Powerballs. And you got every single one right. Folks, that's there to give you confidence in what Christ is going to say for you and then give you purpose. So let's look at this purpose. 
We're going to fast forward to 12, the last chapter. So what happens? He's given all of these prophecies. And then the angel has told him that you're going to seal these up in the book and then you're going to walk away. And it says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn, <clears throat> turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. And so he does this and, and it goes on and on. And that gives us our last verse. Verse 13, and the angel says this to Daniel after all of this. This is the concluding thought. But go your way till the end. Be faithful with what you do until God brings you home. That's what he's saying. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Brothers, sisters, that is what we need to take away from this today. Number one, those seven things with halos and people and, you know, get rid of sin and pay the lady and all that. Understand that all of that is the story of redemption. Okay, that's the gospel message and that's predictive of what Christ was going to do. We can look on that and we can say, God's done that, except for point seven. We're still waiting for point seven. Then we can look at the veracity and, and the exactness of the prophecy out of chapter 11 and we can see that God has a plan. And it's going to come out exactly like God said it would. So therefore, we need to look at Matthew 24 where Jesus said, look, there's a time coming of tribulation and great tribulation. And it's going to get so bad if it weren't for the elect, nobody would survive. But I will come back. I will come back. And what will happen at the end? I will establish my kingdom. Last point, the anointed place. The anointed place. So what are you and I supposed to do in the meantime? Well, I think we need to contemplate what's listed here. Number one, we see that there's a time of trouble unlike any in history that's coming. Number two, that there's a resurrection of the dead that's going to happen. Some to everlasting life and glory and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Do you realize this is written, and I've said it three times now, in 6th century B.C. There are those that want to eradicate the whole doctrine of eternal punishment. And they want to say that Jesus never really preached that in the New Testament. That's not true. That's what he's, it's one of the top things he did speak about. Because it's going to happen, and that needs to really push us to contemplate where are we standing? Where is our allotted place? And the harsh, brutal reality of this prophecy is that there will be those who will rise to eternal glory, but there will be those that just want to sit in their wickedness, and you're not going to change that. So the question for you and I is, where do we stand? Where do you and I stand today? And as we close out this morning, my question for you is simply this. God will see this out. As crazy it sounds, 
it will happen because it did happen. Now for you and I, we need, to, we need to understand what is it we are going to do with knowing all of this. How does this affect us? We fit in one of two categories. Either we fit into that section of those who we will rise eternally into glory or those who will rise into eternal punishment who stand in wickedness. So the gospel comes in here. Right? That's the hope of the entire message. Is that the gospel comes in here and that the gospel is presented by this angel even back in chapter 9. And this gives us purpose today. The end of sin is going to happen. The atonement provided the way to end sin into everlasting righteousness. So for you and I today, my question is, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Listen to the words from the angel to Daniel. Where he said, just go on your way, Daniel. You're the one that's supposed to write this down and seal it so that we can talk about it. And we can be inspired by it. We can move because of it. And so my question to us is, where do you stand? How will you live in light of the information you've just heard? and the accuracy and the veracity of it, and the plan of God's will, and the gospel message. I want you to remember my friend Keith Crawford, who truly understood where he stands. And when he knew his time was short, he didn't let anything get in his way. Not one thing got in his way from sharing Christ. Because he believed in the prophecies. Let me close in prayer and dismiss you this morning. Father, there is so much in this book to teach us, to encourage us, to enlighten us, to move us. I pray, Lord, that as we have heard so much today, whether it's the the complete redemption plan or whether it's the, the accuracy of these prophecies that help us truly believe that what you say will come to pass, to really wrestling with where is it that we stand. Let us act on what we've heard. Let us take it to heart. Lift us up. In your name we pray. Amen.